Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Walk. I'm Father Roderick and I'm here in the center of London. This guy saying, yep, he's actually uh, bringing some, uh, some big barrels of beer to the bar here. And they go down a little elevator to the basement of the bar. And above it is a sign that says, uh, New Moon Cask Ales Spirits Quality Food Cellar Bar. So he was yelling to the people in the basement to press the button so they could, uh, they could get the, the barrels to, to the, 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 the barrel. What is it? <laughs> How do you call that? The pantry? Is a pantry also for beer? I don't know. <laughs> I'm here at the entrance to one of my favorite places in London and it's hard to pick favorites actually because I love all about this city. But this is the entrance to a very famous Victorian marketplace called Leadenhall. This is a Victorian marketplace that is um, covered. So it is. Uh, there's a gallery here. It's beautifully painted in in this very dark wine red and then yellow kind of beige colors and a bit of, of dark green as well. And this is um, a location that dates back to the 14th century. In fact, archaeologists have figured out that this is built on the very center of the old Roman city that was originally here. And so that, of course, is a couple of meters underground. But uh, this is history built on history built on history. And it is a, a wonderful place because it's such a stark contrast with the buildings outside. If I walk out to the street on my right, I can see these huge skyscrapers. In fact, they're rebuilding another huge one here uh, right beside the, the market. And uh, this is going to be another huge building, of course, Real estate here in the center of London is extremely expensive and very valuable. So every once in a while they will tear down an old building and build a new one, an even bigger one. But you see the glass and the chrome of all these new buildings. And then in the foreground you see really old buildings, uh, very much in the Victorian style. Um, and it's this mix of old and new that makes London such a special place and so diverse. It's like every time you walk around a corner, you see something new. So let me walk inside this, uh, uh, this leaden hall. It's not entirely clear where the name comes from. Some people say it's maybe from Leather Hall because they were uh, trading leather maybe. Um, and right now, of course, this is a very upscale place. You've got people here sitting on terraces, uh, left and right. Some people are already <laughs> having a beer, even though it is still morning. But, oh well, it's five o'clock somewhere, right? Here is a wine shop and food and fun here, the Pizza Express, although it doesn't really look like a fast food joint. In fact, it looks very expensive as well. People are eating here. Um, it's lunchtime right now. And so, obviously, uh, a lot of people are taking a break from work or maybe also from the, their visits. Uh, lots of tourists here. It's still the week after Easter. 
and so many people are enjoying this wonderful place. Now, I've been here before. Um, when I first arrived in London, it's only two weeks ago, and it feels like it's been two months since I arrived here. And this was one of the first places I visited. I, I um, stepped off the train at a Liverpool station, which is actually what, just one street away, and I discovered this, I walked around, and it felt a bit familiar. Like, I, I know this place, even though I've never been in London. And then I googled why and found out that this was one of the filming locations for the first Harry Potter movie. This is where Hagrid and Harry Potter are walking around when Harry needs his broom and his books and everything. And in order to go shopping as a wizard, you need to get access to Diagon Alley. And so um, there is a building um, in one of the side streets, I'm walking towards it right now, that at the time was the entrance to the Leaky Cauldron. And then in the backyard of the, of the Leaky Cauldron, there where they had their, their beer stored, probably. <laughs> um, Hagrid tapped on a wall, a stone wall. It opened, and that was the actual entrance to Diagon Alley. And the building is still here. It's pretty hard to find. <laughs> I made a whole video about it that was like scouting the place. Where is this? shop and the reason I didn't recognize it, recognize it was that they they completely repainted the exterior and they painted it white and it was very here it is here it is on my right and it doesn't look anything like uh, the way it looked in the movies except for the stained glass window above the door and the whole kind of curved entrance but right now it's a London migraine clinic <laughs> and I joked on social media that it actually looked trying to find this place gave me a migraine <laughs> because it was so difficult to to uh, to find but uh, that is why this place was so familiar and i loved kind of looking around and exploring it this is one of those sites in in london that feels like the london of stories you know you think london charles dickens uh, uh all these stories about about magic that J.K. Rowling and so many other authors wrote. They all take place in this kind of idealized version of London where it's all super nice and old and cozy and colorful. But, of course, not all London is like this. This Leadenhall market really brings you back in time. And I love what they, what they did, you know, in terms of like painting it and, and giving it a, a, a beautiful color combination. Um, and from here, from this Leadenhall Market, I'm stepping outside on the street again, and we're going to walk in the direction of the Thames. Um, and this is because I want to cross the river. Um, is it Thames or, or Thames? I'm not sure. There's TH in there. Um, but I've learned to not trust my own instinct when it comes to the pronunciation of words. Um, but we're going to cross the river um, using the London Bridge. The famous London Bridge will have a nice view. And we're going to head towards the southern part, uh, the southern area, you could say, south of the river, um, where we will go back to another market that you may remember if you've listened to the previous episode of The Walk. Um, because that's 
one of the places where I recorded a podcast. And unfortunately, at the time, <clears throat> I was using my phone. And you may remember that the audio was quite compressed and warbly and not really what I expected it to be. However, now, as you may be able to tell, I'm using a very fine recorder. This is the, the Zoom H1N. And uh, one of my listeners, uh, hearing my trouble with, uh, with recording audio on my phone, very graciously uh, sponsored the purchase of this new uh, recorder, which henceforth I will use for my, for my podcast because it's really small and very lightweight, but easier to use than um, the recorder that I've used for the past, what is it, five years now. All right, there's an ambulance, so we need to stop to give it priority. I've noticed that it only makes noise when it approaches, like, crossroads and stuff. There we go, emergency ambulance. All right, that gives me another five seconds to cross the road here. On the other side of the street on my right, there are three double-decker buses. The very famous red buses, which actually I love to ride. I've been taking uh, the bus almost every day since I arrived. And sometimes you'll get the usual buses, the same type that you see in Rome and in many other great cities. But these double-decker buses are definitely in quality superior to anything else I've, <laughs> I've uh, ridden with. And my favorite place is always to go up the stairs in the bus, climb to the, to the, or walk to the front of the bus and then sit on the right side. And then you have this wonderful view, this panoramic view of the surroundings. Uh, the, the English buses are very well cleaned. I, I guess they must clean the windows every, every night because um, the, the view is fantastic and it was so fun to film and to take pictures from the bus because you're a little bit higher than if you were in a regular car, which was super useful, of course, for my, um, for my filming project. Speaking of which, um, I've, I'm so happy with what I've been able to film and how it all kind of came together, even though I did not do that much planning for it, but it was, it was a joy to just let my creativity flow. I had my camera, it's all very lightweight. Every time I saw um, a story, um, and by that I mean you see a location and you, you know a bit of the history, or you encounter someone, you enter into conversation, and all of a sudden you, you feel this is a story. This is interesting. Let's take out the camera and start filming. And that's what I did both in London in the first week that I was here as well as during the Star Wars celebration. And having a camera helped me to focus even more on the experience and to learn from the stories that other people told me. And it was such a joy. It was such an intense way of experiencing this, this trip. Here on my left is a very famous monument that was erected uh, to commemorate the Great Fire of London that destroyed more than 13,000 houses, 87 churches, and 52 company halls. Of course, a lot of these buildings at the time were mostly 
uh, built out of wood. And it was a, a huge um, catastrophe for the city and for the people that perished and, uh, and those who survived. And this huge pillar that towers over uh, the rest of the street is um, a lasting memory <clears throat> and monument to that event. And also, in a certain way, a, you could almost say a warning that nothing truly remains. We're, we're all fragile, no matter how many centuries a city has been here. Um, nothing truly lasts forever. Crossing the lower Thames Street, and then we're going to walk underneath this uh, little gateway of the St. Magnus the Martyr Church which is um, Church of England, I think. Because I'm heading to... I'm not sure actually if there is a, uh, an exit. No, there actually isn't. I thought there was, but maybe on the other side of the building. It's one of the many churches. Let's, let's peek through the window here for a sec. Don't want to walk in. Ooh, I smell the frankincense. Ooh, beautiful. Oh, wow. Actually, I am going to walk inside. Gentlemen, please remove your hats, it says. Thank you. Hello. Wow, look at that. Oh, it's very fragrant. The entire entrance to the church here on the inside has been decorated with, with beautiful bouquets of flowers, white flowers to honor, of course, the feast of Easter. And also the benches themselves that are slightly angled towards the high altar are all decorated with beautiful lilies. Amazing. The floor is covered in uh, tombstones because people t were, were buried um, in the church themselves. Of course, wanted to be as close as possible to, to Christ. And then here, if I walk up to the center of the church, on my right is a beautifully carved wooden um, uh, how would you say that? The place from where they preach? Um, I, I know the word, but anyway, you walk up this little staircase and then you can actually preach to the people in church. And then since, of course, it's not a modern Catholic church, there's only the high altar with, um, oh, I count 10 candles surrounding the, the, the golden cross. And above it is a huge bird it's I, I would say an eagle it's not um, or no it's probably a pelican that you that is usually used in in conjunction with the altar and the sacrifice of Christ because the pelican was thought or believed to to uh, pick with its beak to pick its own chest so that the the, the youngsters the 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 baby birds could drink from the blood of the of the mother bird and that was seen as a symbol of uh, Christ's life-giving sacrifice on the cross where blood and water stream from his side to nourish us all with eternal life. There is a beautiful uh, statuette of the Virgin Mary, medieval style. Not sure if it's original, um, but Jesus sits, this is on, Mary on the throne of wisdom. Um, it's a, a very medi old medieval way of portraying the Virgin Mary. So she's sitting there, Jesus sitting on her lap also uh, with his right hand extended in, in, in blessing um, the world. 
and Mary carries a lily, um, I think, as a symbol of uh, uh, virginity and purity. And then there are two side altars that were used, of course, also for masses. A small um, wooden organ here that you actually have to uh, operate yourself. You have to use your feet. It's almost like a workout if you want to play this organ, but there is another huge organ um, on the other side of the altar, or opposite of the altar, uh, that looks absolutely beautiful. Dark brown wood, and then these golden pipes of the organ. Fantastic. Here on the left side of the church is a diorama of tiny miniature houses that shows you how this church was located. Um, I assume in in uh, in the context of the of the bigger city, and it's a very big. I would say at least three meter long diorama, and it shows you that the bridge, the actual London Bridge, I assume, was very much like the bridges that you see in um, in Florence. Uh, where the, uh, the the bridge itself is there, but on top of the bridge they built all these wooden houses. And you would walk between these two rows of wooden houses to the other side of the river. Now, of course, none of that in London remains, but it is a very, very beautiful diorama. Look at all these tiny little figurines of people watching a procession. Oh, this is glorious. I'm looking through the, uh, I'm sorry, I'm on the side of this huge diorama and you can see all the way uh, over the bridge to the other side and you see this huge procession with knights and um, horses and then the the people waving and this may be some, some historical event, I'm not sure if there is a Oh, in fact, th this model of the bridge, you can watch it also online. There is a virtual tour that you can watch, and there is a, a code here that you can scan. I'll just take a picture of it and post it in the show notes so you can take a look yourself, because it's really worth checking this out. I hope that they have some nice close-up photos of all the details in this, um, in this diorama. Let's see. Beautiful. Saint, so St. Magnus Martyr, that's, that's the website of the church. You may want to check out. I'm going to take one photo for, just for my own records. Um, and maybe I'll just add that also to, um, uh, to the, the, the page for, for this particular podcast episode. So it's South Wark. And then I, I, I wish that this was still... Here because it's so beautiful and in Italy they actually did preserve um, uh, on one of the bridges that leads to the to the central museum the, like the, the famous museum of, of Florence you, you still have those old wooden buildings and it makes it so uh, easy to imagine what this city looked like in the Middle Ages but this is really really pretty it's uh, of course covered in a uh, with glass, so you can't really get too close to it, but wonderful. I love it when, in terms of communication, they help us to um, to situate a building in its history, and that makes a city like London so incredibly 
um, interesting to me is this is just completely covered in historic sites and, and, st and stories, of course, that make up this history. We're going to walk back outside. Um, I think we have to take the same exit as the entrance that we took. There we go, opening the door. I'm so glad I stepped inside. This was wonderful. And now we're gonna head to the bridge itself. It has started to drizzle a little bit, um, which, was, which was predicted because uh, the morning would start off um, sunny, and it did. Uh, actually, blue skies, very pleasant weather. The temperature is still extremely um, nice, especially compared to last week when, when I was here, when it was, uh, for, especially the first days, raining so much and it was so bitter, bitterly cold. So I'm now going underneath the bridge. So the London Bridge is above me. And uh, there's a lot of traffic, obviously. What I'm going to try to find is um, a staircase that leads up the bridge. I think it's on the other side, actually. So I have to cross the road and then I can climb up and walk to, uh, to the bridge itself and cross, cross the river. But before I do that, I may actually get my uh, raincoat out of my bag. Thankfully, I, I, I'm prepared this time. I do have my raincoat um, right here next to me. So I can whip it out. My umbrella, unfortunately, is deceased <laughs> because it was ripped apart by the strong wind. And then we'll uh, at least prevent ourselves from getting too wet. Now, let me see. Um, I'm just going to get out of this passageway here and uh, take off this is going to be a bit complicated because I have to first take out my earbuds then I have to uh, take off bag number one and I'm also carrying a backpack and before I can uh, put on my raincoat of course I need to fully <laughs> take off these uh, these two bags in order to wear it underneath all that. All right, uh, there's another construction going on here in front of me. So that's the, the sound of these uh, workmen. I think he's uh, yelling at one of the guys who is unloading material. Ah, there you go. so glad I have this super light uh, jacket that I bought for running but it's also perfect if you want to travel light and still need something to uh, protect yourself from the rain so now we're gonna do the opposite like the inverse of what I just did um, first putting on my backpack which has all my equipment and then I'll take the other bag which is a very small sports bag that carries my my clothes and then we're going to see if we can find the entrance to the London Bridge. I'm not sure if it's safe here to cross. I'll walk to the next official crossing here because I have learned that 
you should not take any risk. This is not Rome. People will not stop if you cross the road. <laughs> They'll just run you over. Politely, of course, but still. You could still end up dead. All right, press the button and wait. And then I'll just uh, quickly consult my phone to see if that is indeed the bridge I'm looking for. Um, I think it is. I think it is. This is also one of the busiest parts of, of uh, the city. Um, if you go to, for instance, Baker Street, uh, it's much more, it's smaller, it's more, there's much more focus on pedestrians. Um, here, of course, it's also, it's a, it's a busy city and people need to walk around. Here we go, yeah, that's the London Bridge. Oh, the other one, the one that I just saw in, in miniature is actually called the Southwark Bridge. And it is on the west of the London Bridge. I did not know that. Okay, I think it's green. I hope it is. All right, let's walk. Look left, it says. And then look right and look both ways. <laughs> it doesn't mention up or up and down, but <laughs> I assume that is less likely to pose a threat. And now walking back to the big bridge, which uh, has traffic going both ways. And hopefully also a pedestrian path. There's a runner passing me by. Something I haven't been able to do in the second week. I did some running while I was in London. Um, and I really loved it. But the second week I uh, opted to take it easy and not overdo it. Because um, I'm officially still in the tapering phase of my marathon training. Um, however, I am still uncertain if it is wise to go and run that marathon because it would be in a couple of days from now. It would be on Sunday, Sunday morning. But because of this trip, I haven't been able to be consistent in my training. And running a marathon is, you know, is, is, is very uh, challenging when it comes to the preparation. You cannot really skip, whoops. There goes my bag, slipped off my shoulder because the raincoat is a bit more slippery. Just gonna turn the strap over my head. You ultimately figure out how to do this, uh, this uh, light travel. <laughs> I get very, um, I'm very um, experienced when it comes to holding multiple things in one hand and <laughs> carrying everything around while still filming and or podcasting. So I'm a bit uh, uncertain if it's wise to run that marathon, seeing how, how many training sessions I've missed and also uh, considering the uh, very intense two weeks that I spent here. Um, the last thing I want, of course, is to be injured, but still a couple of days I can decide uh, maybe tomorrow. Thankfully, it's not a very busy marathon, so um, I hope I can, if I feel like I can do it, 
I'll apply as soon as I'm back home. And otherwise, I'll just, uh, I'll just pass on it and train for, for instance, the Marathon of Amsterdam, which is in October. And that will give me much more time to get ready for it. So I'm, I'm now crossing the, the Thames and uh, on my left side, I see the famous London Bridge. Um, which now, of course, I want to b build in Lego. I do have a second-hand uh, Lego set of the, of the bridge. It is going to be a very tedious build because, um, of course, it's, um, it's a very symmetrical build. And I bought it second-hand. So I have, I don't know, like 8,000 individual bricks that are not sorted. So just that aspect of the build is going to be a challenge. But... You know, now that I've seen the real thing and I actually crossed the river on it, mm, I, 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 there's, I don't know, I have more of a connection to this, to this build than I had when I bought the set. So on the right side, I can see the other bridge, which is now a very modern bridge. I guess the original one completely collapsed or was, was uh, deconstructed or torn down. And the, the new one doesn't look very uh, appealing. It's just a kind of a... A green metal bridge, some uh, concrete pillars. So I guess uh, this is why they have that miniature model of what it used to look like. And uh, maybe one day we can all wear these uh, uh, augmented reality glasses and just look over the water and see the world as it was in the Middle Ages, reconstructed in 3D. Oh my gosh, wow. In front of the London Bridge, there's this big military ship that is uh, docked at, uh, at the side of the river. I don't know why it's there, because it cannot pass underneath the bridge, obviously. And some tourists are taking pictures of it. I don't, I don't know how it got there, because it's so tall. That's funny, maybe it... No, I don't think it can pass underneath these bridges either. Or maybe the... Oh no, it must be because the London Bridge, the, yeah, no, the Tower Bridge. What is it now? Is it the London Bridge? Currently I'm on the London Bridge. So this is the London Bridge. The other one is called the Tower Bridge. Um, it can actually open in the center. I've never seen it, but I think that's how this military ship uh, was able to dock here. Oh wow, I would have loved seeing that take place. All right, we've uh, now come to the other side of the river. And I think from here on, it's just straight on. I can see this big uh, modern skyscraper called the, the Shard here on my left. It's just this big uh, glass, almost looks like the, the head of an arrow. Um, and there is another big glass building in front of it, slightly curved. But if you walk underneath the, the train bridge, there, the, the, the train um, passage way, uh, you will actually get back to the older part of London and will arrive at Borough Market. So one of the fruits of this uh, two-week trip has been, um, first of all, to be able to step back into what I love to do most, and that is to tell stories while filming, while, while recording these podcasts, describing to you the sites. This is how I got started. 
and I've been reminiscing with some of the people that I met here for the first time that have been following me for for years. Um, when when I think back of how I started my adventures in the media, it did start with these. I called them sound scene tours at the time. Uh, this was a term um, coined by Adam Curry, who was um, a DJ, lived in the Netherlands, and uh, worked for MTV at the time, or maybe even before that. And he was one of the pioneers of podcasting. And he would walk in the streets of where he lived at the time, and just, he would just describe what he saw and recorded the sounds. And he said it's not sightseeing because there's no sight, but it's sound seeing, and I love that term. Yes. I wouldn't know because I'm not from London. I apologize. My apologies. Um, but I am going to walk down these stairs. There's a, the church here. Is it a cathedral? I think it was a cathedral, right? Um, and so there is a staircase. I'm walking down now and. It smells delicious here because on both sides of this small street next to the church is, uh, uh, are a couple of restaurants and people are sitting here um, Papa! Uh, having, having lunch or having a beer and it smells so good. Oh, it's street food. They're cooking actually right here on the side of the street in these big pans. Uh, they're making paella here. They're uh, mixing sang- sang- sangria. So I guess I guess this is kind of like a Spanish-oriented restaurant. Oh, it smells even better here. I think this is a barbecue place. Uh, and the guy here on the right, he is uh, putting food into small um, brown carton boxes. Some lettuce, some uh, onions and meats, adding some mayonnaise. Oi, oi, oi. And it's very crowded here, so I have to wait my turn until I can continue. There's some families passing by, and I've, of course I'm a bit bulky because of all the, all the bags. But people are literally waiting in line here to get their food. Here on the left they are um, uh, assembling burgers, and everybody's eating here. All right, some more space here. This is the kind of the entry to the, to the borough market. And we're still underneath the, the train tracks. So every once in a while you will hear the trains uh, thundering over us. And this is a, almost like a small square. Here comes a train. And uh, there are little stands here, stalls here with food. You've got a cheese stand. Uh, on the left they sell fearless flavor, which I think uh, is flavored oil, all types of different flavored oils. Some red stands here with fudge. Oh, this was the fudge place that I described. I wanted to take a picture of it after I was done recording last week's episode, and I couldn't find it anymore. But now I'm here, and I'm still mesmerized by this. This I don't know. I, I'm not. I don't have a sweet tooth, but when I see this fudge, I think yes, I. I could ha- I could get one because it's so so good. And next to that, you can buy all sorts of uh, um, small bites. I think there are also kind of sweet cakes and everything. Now here's some music. There are of course 
musicians also trying to make some money so let's let's listen a bit that's just one guy sounds like a band very very nice and uh, around the singer you've got people eating all sorts of good stuff this is Ash Dodd singer-songwriter and you can even follow him on Instagram <laughs> although Instagram may not be the best medium for someone who is focusing on music anyway um, let's go back into the market itself and then I think there's a small corridor that will lead me to the actual marketplace where you would be able to, well, still can buy fruits, vegetables, meats, cheese, and bread. Not only do I hear the sounds of the trains and then all the busyness of the market, but I also hear a lot of different languages Chinese, Japanese, German, Italian, Spanish. It's another reason why I like London so much. It's the international vibe, cosmopolitan vibe that I also appreciate so much when I'm in Rome. German sourdough bakery and here's this uh, stone archway that actually feels like an entrance to Diagon Alley has that same transitional quality to it. You walk underneath this, um, this arc, and then all of a sudden you're in a totally different part of the market. And what I love is that um, there is a glass ceiling, so it's like the gallery that we, that we started this podcast at. Um, but this one has, is much bigger, more, looks more like an old-fashioned central station. Um, and above the various alleys or uh, small streets that will lead you to all the, the, the market stalls, uh, they, they've hung thousands of lights. And they're on, it's a bit overcast now, so it creates almost like the same magic you see in um, the, the, the hall, the main hall of Hogwarts Castle where you see all these floating candles, I would not be surprised if they got that idea from these lights here on Borough Market. Of course, these are just electrical lights, but it's still the same kind of... It's almost like a starry sky um, that gives it so much um, of a festive atmosphere. All right. So I was talking about the lessons that I learned... Uh, and the things that I discovered th um, during these two weeks and uh, how much I love doing this is, you know, re reminiscing with, with these old-time listeners. Um, there they, was one, um, one of my um, uh, long-time listeners who said, what I like so much about your sound, sound seeing tours, the, the, the podcast that you did where you traveled the world and described what you saw, is it didn't really matter where you, where you were but you felt engaged and you could make even shopping at little sound exciting. <laughs> that was a, a very nice compliment. 
Um, and it's painting with words. It's literally painting with words. Paul Beaven uh, came to see me yesterday and uh, he was the one who tipped me to go to this place and, and record a podcast there. Um, and he's a photographer, a professional photographer. So he paints with, with light and colors and composition and shadow. And, and I kind of do the same using words to paint a picture in your, in your mind. And I realize now that I'm here again, how much this gives me joy to do that. Because it feels like I'm not alone here, but you are walking right beside me. And, you know, we're just exploring. Here they sell wine. And there is a little central space here with tables where people are having lunch. And this is a different, oh, this is Turkish delight from the Narnia stories. It's kind of this, these powdered sweets um, and, and they are delicious. I can totally see that you could bribe even the greatest hero of any story with Turkish delight to, to turn to the dark side. <laughs> Here's the Dorset Oyster Bar. People are actually eating oysters and there's a guy using a knife to open them, which always feels to me like a very perilous job to have seeing that some of these oysters can be very hard to, to open. And just like last week, people are standing in a very, very long line to get paella, or paella at, this, um, at this particular bamba paella uh, because it's apparently super good. And I see people even eating other meals while they are waiting to get their their uh, plate uh, with paella. I'm just going to follow these people and just cut through the big line here. And there we go. Wow, it's extremely crowded. So rediscovering my passion for audio and, uh, and not just walking around in the woods uh, talking like I normally do with the walk, but also doing these sound scene tours um, it's something I'm, I'm so happy to, to reconnect with. And I won't, I won't be able to do it every time because, of course, you obviously need to be in places that are interesting and new that I can describe. But especially in, uh, on trips, um, I think I might want to do this more often. I used to create these mini-series and they were titled The Catholic Insider because originally it started in the Vatican, but then, of course, it quickly became something much broader than just taking people inside what was happening in the Catholic Church during the conclave or whatever. Um, but I wouldn't mind kind of see if I can go back to creating uh, audio series in different countries and different places. Wild Mushroom Rosado this is another very popular place. And thankfully, I already had a very large English breakfast. In fact, I did the whole Hobbit meal sequence. I started with uh, some cereal, that was first breakfast, and then I switched to um, eggs and ham, uh, bacon, and some toast. That was my second breakfast. And, uh, and then I, I got some, um, some crump, crumples? No, crump, oh, what was the word? Crumps? Crump, something with crumps. Anyway, it's some kind of uh, uh, thing you make. <laughs> Oops, there's a car. That wasn't for me, by the way. <laughs> Crumpets. Crumpets, that's the word. 
Um, so I toasted some crumpets with uh, Marmite, butter, first of all, lots of butter, and then Marmite, I'd had that with some tea um, as a Levensees. And after that, um, I, I didn't have to eat anymore. And so I can walk around here without, without any, you know, grumbling stomach noises disturbing this podcast. All right, let's continue our walk here on the southern side of the river. And I'll head towards the old railway station, one of the oldest, or the oldest actually, of London. And from there we'll walk to uh, Westminster. So the second thing that I've um, discovered or distilled from these two weeks is how much it makes a difference with what kind of mindset you're experiencing these days. Um, you may recall that in preparation of this journey, I was a bit stressed out and uh, a bit worried about the overwhelming nature of the city and also my ability to take it all in and make the most out of this. And so I was, uh, I was sometimes, um, I think, trying to do too much <laughs> and, and at the same time didn't really give myself time to prepare very well. But somehow during these two weeks, uh, I really was able to slow down and um, especially because I had this break between my first few days here in London where I just had time to, to do sightseeing and I, actually it was meant to be a bit of a vacation. <laughs> But as soon as I was here, I just kept walking and filming and exploring. And I, I spent so many hours on my feet. But I did enjoy it very much. It was, in that respect, not stressful at all. Because I had the time. I can't imagine that I would have only gone to the Star Wars celebration and then tried to squeeze in some sightseeing um, before or after the convention some people did that but it's almost impossible you can you can only maybe see like the bridge and and a, and a, the big ben and and that's it because there's just not, not enough time and of course a star wars celebration is super overwhelming uh when it comes to just the amount of noise and excitement and all these encounters uh there was even a uh a, what was it called like a a room that was managed by an organization uh, to offer people a place to for sensory what was it sensory calm calm down or something like that. so if you there there are of course lots of people that cannot handle just this overwhelming amount of noise and 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 in a certain way social stress that a convention like this brings so to have a place where you can just walk in and it's silent there and it's, it's a bit dark and you can calm down your nerves. I've met quite a few fellow Star Wars fans that were neuro neurodivergent in one way or another and, uh, and on the spectrum. And uh, to have that service there, I thought it was extremely thoughtful. Reminded me a little bit of the, sometimes the chapels that you would find on airports or in, in big shopping malls where people could just walk in pray a little bit or just sit there in silence, light a candle um, and calm down. 
So I am glad that I actually took a lot of margin to create that calm in myself. And after these frenzy days uh, in, in London, where it's so much in, in just a few days, I was, I was extremely grateful for the hospitality of Michiel and Liz, who, um, who hosted me um, for uh, about five, six days in, in Leicester. And it was a wonderful time with people that I know and they're totally themselves and I could be totally myself. Um, I did sleep so well there and had a great time. Just to, the, You wake up and the only thing you need to do is have a cup of tea and, you know, cuddle the dog because their dog, Neve, really likes uh, her morning cuddles. And so that alone is so relaxing. There, there's something about animals that also uh, is very con- conducive to um, calming down and kind of grounding yourself. Here, I'm at the entrance of the London Bridge station. So the station itself is old, but this interior is a section is actually quite modern. It reminds me of Rotterdam Central Station. So I assume that this has been renewed, renovated, and maybe they completely dug out this new space uh, only a couple of years ago. I hear organ music. Do you hear that? That is weird. Where did that come from? That sounded like a church. Oh, here it is. It does sound like a church. Where is this coming from? I'm in a railway station. Okay, I'm just trying. I need to figure out what this is. Just see if I can get closer to the sound. Okay, the music gets gets louder. Ah, what is this? Oh, here's a passageway. Oh my goodness, there is a church organ here. Wow. And someone is actually playing the organ right now. It says, pipe up for pipe organs. I've seen pianos in central, in railway stations, but never seen organ. And this is an old passageway. So the echo actually very much sounds like a church. (laughs) <laughs> you play the organ quite well. Oh, thank you. You enjoy this? Uh? Yeah, it's, it's great, great, great. What's, what's the idea of the, the organ here? It's just, I think it's a charity and they just leave them here for people to play. That's incredible. Have fun. Oh, wow, that is so cool. <laughs> Definitely one of the most wild experiences here. Oh, wow, there's a whole underground system of... Uh, of, of hallways here. This is amazing. I guess this goes to the various platforms. That's so cool. And there are little stores on both sides. Like Hemley's, I guess that's for toys. Yeah, it's toys. And Ted Baker for dresses. And these are kind of more chic stores like um, makeup. Rituals, of course. That's a that's a chain of stores that we have all over Europe. Tech Express. This is very much what you would find in an airport as well. There's a bookstore, 
cash machines and everything. So and after those days in Leicester, which were super relaxing, I was all kind of powered up for the, the final part of my journey, which was back to London, um, to a very different part of the city. I was actually almost outside of London itself. It was in a, a town that I think originally was just separate from, from the city, and now it's gobbled up. It's called Dagenham. And uh, I booked a hotel there, kind of almost blind because uh, right after they announced the Star Wars convention, I went online and a lot of the hotels close to the, um, the, the Excel Center were already sold out and the prices were going up very, very quickly. And so I just got a similar hotel, not realizing that it was all the way on the eastern side of the city and that I would have to take... Um, multiple buses and trains to get to the Excel Center and absolutely no way to travel to the center of London at least from what I thought uh, and it's only this morning on the day that I'm going back to the Netherlands by boat that I've discovered that there was actually 10 minutes away from the from the hotel is a an underground station um, it's not really the underground it's a part of the tube um, but it is a train that brings you straight to this place to the London Bridge had I known that then it would have been much easier to do some uh, tourist stuff as well however I was also very happy to be in central London myself in the first week so this this whole dynamic of um, intense days and then alternated with restful days um, works really well for my type of personality. When I go, um, when I get creative, I, I want to go fast and I go, <laughs> go hard in a certain way. Um, I, I barely take the time to rest. I don't eat. <laughs> I eat in the morning. I make sure that I have a good filling uh, protein-based breakfast. And I won't get hungry at all. It's only to, at the end of the day, and it's usually quite late, like towards 8 or 9 in the evening, when I start to realize, well, maybe, maybe I should eat. Now, of course, I do drink. Um, and I usually, also, very quickly, I just, whenever I go to the bathroom here, there's always some water. So I just make, you know, I wash my hands, and then I cut my hands and, and just drink the water from the tap. It's cheap. It's actually, it's free. <laughs> But it keeps me hydrated because, of course, I can easily fast for, for a, a number of hours uh, without even noticing. But I wouldn't be able to, uh, uh, to go an entire day without drinking. That would be even dangerous. So uh, this, is, this is what I usually do when I'm in a creative mode. Like today, same thing. I, I told myself I'm going to record uh, my, my podcast while I'm here in England. I'm not here every day. So um, right now I'm focused on, on recording the walk and I'm bringing you along. I know that it's lunchtime, but I'm, I'm currently fully satisfied with the big breakfast I had this morning. And so I can take the time to focus on this creative process. But then I also know that I can do this because yesterday when the celebration was over, I went home straight away, home to the hotel. Um, so the celebration ended at 5, and I was back at the hotel at about 6.30. And then I just sat in a chair. <laughs> I chatted with the, 
Michiel with Inga on Discord for about an hour. And then I got hung a little bit hungry. But I realized that it was still what they call here Boxing Day, which is the day after Easter. So it's a holiday and um, the, the stores were all closed at five. The, the few supermarkets that had been open that day were already closed. So instead I, I made uh, noodles. <laughs> I, I learned from my mistakes earlier on in this, on this trip where I would arrive uh, back at my hotel room and everything would be closed. So I had bought a, like an emergency cup of noodles and I could just fill it with hot water and just eat something. Went to bed and slept in this morning. I woke up having slept exactly eight hours, fully rested. And I took two hours to first have breakfast and then take all my time to pack my bags. Um, and since uh, it's such a, <laughs> a challenge to, to put everything I have in these two small bags, um, it, it requires a lot of folding. And I know exactly how to do this because I've been traveling for years like this. Um, but it still <laughs> was nice to have a lot of time I, I only had to check out at noon and like five minutes before noon I was there at the desk checking out and then walking uh, at ease to the underground station that brought me here to the center of London. But having these, um, th these moments of, 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 of peace is, is exactly what helps me to be at my best when I'm creative and when I have to go like full speed um, so that worked also really well during the Star Wars convention itself I um, uh, instead of, of trying to make a story myself which I normally would do especially when I was working for television um, you have to plan in advance you need to have a story uh, even before you start filming because I work alone I have to do everything myself, doing the interviews, the filming. So there is, there is just not enough time in a day to, um, to prepare everything. So usually I would just have a short, like, I need this piece of information. I want to film this and this and this. And then I need another interview. And that's it. But now, what I loved about these, these four days, I could just let the story come to me. It's a different type of... of, of uh, filmmaking, and this is much more um, exploratory documentary making, which is a bit of a luxury, because in in the world of television, there's always this pressure, like you need to churn out a new episode every week. Um, whereas now, I could just take um, my time to to talk with people, and whenever, as I said at the beginning of this uh, podcast, when I discovered a story, and I saw a, a passion or emotion um, that's when I could take out my camera and start filming which resulted in a number of amazing interviews one of the most memorable for me was encountering a fellow Catholic priest it was on the third day it was on on Monday was it on Monday was it yesterday I think it was and so it was the last day of the convention and all of a sudden I see in the corner of my eye someone walking around with a Roman collar and a brown uh, vest. Uh, and he had a beard. It looked very friendly. So I walk up to him. He was 
talking to someone else and I was like, are you a, are you a Catholic priest? Yeah, so am I. And so we, uh, we, we talked a bit. It turns out that he, um, he was in London for the Star Wars celebration because he got tickets from a friend who couldn't go. And he made sure that he... Uh, of course, he had his um, uh, Easter celebration. So he celebrated a very early Mass on, on Sunday. Uh, he lives uh, at the North American College studies a sacramental theology in Rome. Uh, so he, he celebrated his Easter Mass in the morning. Of course, he had the Easter vigil the, the eve before. And then he took the plane to London. And so he was able to spend two days on the Star Wars celebration floor. And that's how we, we met. And it turns out that he was just as much a fan as I was. Kind of same story. It was part of his childhood. Um, very fond memories of the toys that he played with. And then later on when he became a priest, he started to reflect on the stories and on the deeper layers and uh, started to um, dis- well, dis- rediscover Star Wars from the perspective of a theologian. And so uh, while I was talking with him, I felt that this, I need to interview him because he's got such a great story and I, I, I would almost be able to tell the same story but hearing it from another priest with his, um, in, in a different style and I don't know, he's just a natural um, a talker. So some, some people have this, just this talent, they start talking and you want to listen because there's a certain warmth in the way he tells it, it's He's got a very um, pleasant demeanor in a certain way. And so I, I really enjoyed that interview. And it was mutual. He really liked the questions that I asked. Because, of course, normally if you're, as a priest, approached by press, it's always because they want contrast and they ask the, all the usual questions. <laughs> but in this case, I could go a little bit more in-depth. And we were standing, I was interviewing him in front of the big TIE fighter a model that was in the central hall and it, it turned out so well and I had many many interviews sometimes it's just a hunch so I saw these two I, I, at one point I was like okay I want to do um, a piece of the documentary about the commercialization of Star Wars which of course obviously has always been part of Star Wars the whole you know merchandise selling toys and everything but um I just didn't know how to, to approach it in a positive way. Because it's very tempting to do just this, this, this negative part where it's like, oh, but Star Wars is getting way and way too commercial now and it's all about the money and it's no longer about the fans. But I didn't want to do that because that's, that's kind of what, what you see a lot online. Oh, wow, I'm in a, in a different tunnel now. This is also underneath the, the station itself. Oh, wait, there's the organ again. No, <laughs> the organ helps me orient. But I, I left earlier. There's a whole flower stand here uh, in front of me with beautiful tulips, probably from the Netherlands. Um, so anyway, let me take the escalator up. Uh, okay, I, could, I can't understand a word of what this guy is saying. <laughs> I think it's because of the echo of the of the space, which works really well for an organ, but it doesn't work that well for announcements. So I'm walking to the other side, and then I'm going to follow the River Thames to the bridge. 
um, the, the bridge that leads to the Parliament and, uh, and Big Ben and to uh, Westminster. So I don't think we can do that in this podcast, by the way, because we have been chatting quite a bit. But, um, but there were a, a number of these wonderful interviews. Um, and, and so this, the, the, I see these two guys, and they clearly just bought a lightsaber. Uh, they were both in Jedi robes um, from England. And so I started a conversation, and I asked them the same type of questions that I would ask a lot in, when I was making my television show for Dutch television. It's always, don't ask for facts. But, don't, but ask for meaning. So it's not just like, show me your lightsaber and what else have you bought? But no, what do these things mean to you? And if you ask for meaning, people will give you meaning. So these two boys start to tell me how much their collection means to them and how it helps them to connect with a world that is not polarized, that is not as worrisome as the world in which they live. And they, they were talking in a very positive way about escapism. And so I prodded a little bit more. It's like, so why? What do you, what do you want to escape for? And, and does it help? And it was just a wonderful interview. Um, and what I loved about that is it, it, this, this kind of interview would not have happened if I'd been stressed, if I'd been like laser focused on, on you know, I, have to, I have to create this particular story that I have in my mind and I need to kind of direct the interview so that it matches what I want to create as a story. Now, this was just people talking to me, and then I'm just listening, and, and I'm trying to distill the story that is already there. So it's much more akin to what uh, is often said about Michelangelo, you know, when he was sculpting, when he says the, the statue is already there, you know, with the Pietà in, in Rome, of course, a fantastic, beautiful marble statue of Mary carrying her dead son on her, on her lap. And it's made completely out of one piece of marble. The idea is that Michelangelo said, I just have to take away whatever is not the statue. But it's already there. <laughs> I need to just chip away the rest. And that, that's how I felt while filming. Um, the story is already there. I just need to make sure that I capture, that I capture it and then that I start to in post, in editing, that I, I, I cut away whatever is not part of, the, of that core story that emerges. And I think it worked out so incredibly well. Um, it's almost as if I found my new way of working. But it does require time. It does require margin. It does require me to be rested and to be nourished and to have these days where I could just relax and I don't have to work and then when I'm fully rested that's when the creative um, energy will flow at its at its peak level so I just took the escalator to the to the main street where I started and from here I can more easily get to the other bridge Um, but for this episode of The Walk, I'm going to start wrapping it up here. Uh, let me take a look at the screen. Um, yeah, we've been talking for about an hour, so that's, that's fine. I almost have this, almost this instinct now that, yes, it's time to start wrapping up. So thank you so much for uh, joining me on this walk uh, through at least a small part of London. 
there will be more um, walking around in London in uh, this week's special episode number two of The Break. I recorded last week's episode on the f- convention floor. So I'll do uh, another episode of The, of the Break uh, later today. And then when once that one is recorded, I'll uh, take the train to Harwich, step on the boat, and then a few hours later, we'll be on our way back to the Netherlands. So, hope to talk to you soon. Thank you so much for the privilege of your time. Thanks to those of you that are supporting me on Patreon. I, I, I really appreciate it that you make it possible for me to do this for you and for so many other people all around the world, many of whom I've I've met this past week and they've told me how much these podcasts mean to them and how much sometimes it has changed their lives. So thank you for making that possible. Talk to you soon. May God bless you. <laughs>